family, isn't it good to be in worship of the one true God? There's something that is just, um, man, liberating and just freeing. Like there's no, there's no pressure to perform. There's no stress to, you know, meet some particular benchmarks or a particular status or just achieve anything because all that he wants from us is just be. Just accept what he's offering. So we accept that and here we are. We're good and there's freedom in that. Now we can truly be what we've been designed to be and operate that we, the way that we've been made to operate. This morning I'm excited and um, privileged to introduce to you our, our speaker for the morning. His name is Mike Valdez. And... Um, Mike has been a, f- a friend of the family for a number of years. He's currently the uh, administrator for Sanctuary Church in Providence. And um, he's just been a blessing to, to my family, really like a mentor type person, even to our kids, which has been a huge blessing. So, Mike, I appreciate you. Um, we're grateful for you to be here. And uh, thank you for coming and sharing the word this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Everyone hear me? I'm, uh, I'm really excited and really honored to be here. And before I start, I actually, I want to honor the Pichettes. Um, I admire you guys. Um, I feel like we have a lot of things in common, our passion for the kingdom, a desire for church unity, our height, um, <laughs> just a lot of things that we share, kindred spirits. Um, and, uh, and I just, I admire the way you guys have such a consistency and faithfulness to the Lord, a steadiness in um, displaying the fruit of the Spirit and the virtue of God. When I look at your family, you guys and your kids, and just the way that uh, you lead your family and the way that your kids follow God, I look at that and I say, when I have kids, I want it to be like that. And so I just want to thank you guys. Can we just thank you for your pastors? Uh, Well, I'm excited today. I'm going to be preaching out of uh, John chapter 2. If any of you want to follow along your Bibles or your digital Bibles, on your phones that you've hopefully silenced. Um, I'm going to be in John chapter 2. This is the, uh, the story of the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle. Could you raise your hand if you've heard this story before, just so I get a sense of where the room is? Okay, cool. So about half of you. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to be in John 2. When you're there, just, uh, I don't know if, if you guys are normally like a shout back church, where you like give some amens. I heard every time someone said, God is good, I heard an always back there. Like, God is good. And all the time, all right, I can tell I'm home. So I'm the kind of preacher, I like it if you shout at me. If you think there's something good, you can say that's good. You can say praise the Lord. Um, You can say you have spinach in your teeth. Whatever you got to say, just let me know. I love to hear that back. Um, God is good, amen? Amen. Awesome. Uh, Would you join me? I don't know if you normally do this. Would you stand with me if you're able for the reading of the word? I'd love to read through the whole story together and just stand as a way to honor God's word. And then we'll get started. John chapter 2, it says, I'm reading out of the New International Version. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour, yeah, keynote, I think uh, the English misses this, but you might not want to call your mom woman. I think that was a little different context there. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then people have drunk freely, and then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Would you join me in a quick prayer? King Jesus, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are one, that you are supreme, and that you love us, and that you're good all the time. Lord, as we approach your word right now, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see you, open our ears that we might hear you, and open our hearts that we might know you more. And we pray this in your awesome name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you. I, um, there's so many things that, that I love about this story. And uh, the key word, if, you, if, if, if I could use that phrase here, if you listen to nothing else that I say today, but listen to one thing, it's this phrase in, uh, in verse 5. Where, where his mother says, do whatever he tells you. How many of you know that there is life in the command of God? There's all sorts of different kinds of scripture, right? There's some that are commands, there's some that are stories. Uh, the, the word, uh, those of you who may know the word Torah or Torah, it's the word we use for the first five books of the Bible. And anytime you see in the Bible where it says the law, uh, it's, it's translated from that word Torah, which maybe more accurately would be instruction. God's word, God's law to us is not just like a legal system telling us what to do, but it's instruction and teaching that we can gain wisdom from. And so Jesus is in this, uh, this cultural context that's a little, bit, a little bit different than ours, right? Where it's, I mean, first it's 2,000 years ago, so they don't have any iPhones, they don't have movie theaters, they don't have air conditioning or heat. Um, they don't have nice uh, plumbing where they can just go to the bathroom and get it all taken care of. They're in a very different place. And, uh, and one of the ways that it's really different is that um, their entire nation is all sharing the same religion. It's all built on the same law. And so they're all on one page about how everything works. Their entire lives together are in this joined system of belief. Right here in the United States of America, we have the privilege of living in a diverse society with all sorts of kinds of people, with all different ideas and cultures, and I think that's a beautiful thing. But one thing that we don't have there is we don't have unity on the way we think about how to serve God. We don't even necessarily have unity on who we think is God or if there's a God, right? We live in a society with lots of different people. And so one of the things that we don't have is this shared way of life where everyone is on the same page about, about what they do. And so we start out, uh, I said I all that just to set the example of the way these people are thinking. And so Jesus is at this wedding, and they run out of wine. Now, a wedding in this society was not like a one-day thing. It would last for like, maybe like a week, right? Because people were coming from out of town, uh, and they didn't take I-95, they took like a donkey. So it took them a while to get in. And so once they were there, they were going to stay for a while, right? This was like a long trip. You want to make it worth it. So everyone came. Uh, it was a huge, huge, huge feast. Uh, and it was the responsibility of the families that were getting married to provide uh, all the food and all the drinks. So to run out of wine would have been a really, really bad social embarrassment. It's like, uh, it's like you, if you were to have people over for dinner and then they came and then you didn't have food for them. It's like this would have been like a really bad thing. And so these people have failed to be hospitable. We don't know why. Maybe they were poor. Maybe someone made an error. Maybe, you know, who knows? But whatever it was, they did not do what they were supposed to do to be hospitable. And so it was just kind of this really embarrassing thing. And so Jesus' mom shows up and says, hey, they don't have any wine. 
And then he, you know, he says, what does that have to do with me? Why are you telling me? I'm just not in charge of the wine. But there's, I think, an implication because he says, my hour has not yet come. So I wonder if she's kind of hinting like, hey, you want to like, you know, you're God and stuff. You want to do the thing where just like, you know, there's water and then there's wine. Like, you know, they're out of wine. Like we could really use more wine. Um, and then he says, my tower is not yet coming. She just like kind of ignores him. She doesn't even respond. She just goes over to the servants like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. And so there's this little sense of mystery about what's going to happen. We don't know. Now it says there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification. Now, part of that common law that they all held was that the, the law that Moses brought down from the mountain and, and used to establish, that God gave him, established the Israelite nation, so much of it that I'm sure you'll learn a lot about in this study, which really cool, by the way, that'll be awesome. Um, a lot of the laws were about understanding holiness and purity. Right, so God is holy, he's pure, he's all good, there's nothing corrupt in him, nothing unclean. And so all of Israelite society was based on the understanding that God was holy and the closer to him you got, the cleaner and purer you needed to be. And so one of the rituals that the priests had is that the, before they went into the, the tabernacle where God's presence would rest, this like mobile temple, the building where the priests would go and do religious uh religious practices and where they would meet with the presence of God, before they went in, they were required to wash themselves as this symbol of what was happening in their body. I'm not going to go into God's house dirty. I'm going to go in clean. Now, what happened was God establishes his law, his Torah, his instruction. And then what the rest of Israelite society did, this is, this is actually thousands of years after Moses established those laws from God. And so people had taken some of these principles that were in God's law and applied it to other places of their life. So for example, they decided that, well, if it's, it's a pure and clean thing for the priest to have to wash our hands, then maybe we should all do that in, in, in general in like other times so that we can be holy. Um, and so, for example, before every meal, they washed their hands. It's a normal thing. It's a thing we do. They didn't know about like germs or, or, or biology yet, but that was just a good thing. And so these... These, uh, these um, stone jars were there not just to wash their hands before a meal, but for special, uh, it says, purification rites. So this was part of their religion. It wasn't just like washing their hands to be clean. Every time they used these, it was a religious purpose. So it's almost like uh, any of you who grew up Catholic, almost like the holy water. Like this is special. This isn't just water to take a bath in. This is like sacred. So Jesus says to the servants, go and fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said, now draw some out and take it to the master. And then we know the rest of the story. The master gets it. And suddenly, magically, between you know, point A and point B, this water has become wine, which is amazing and phenomenal and mind-blowing. That's crazy. I've never seen that happen. I don't know if you have. And it's this glorious, glorious thing, right? He saves the wedding. He saves the party. It's great. And you look at this. And when we look at the fact this is the first miracle, why the heck is this the first miracle? This is like that he saved like wine at a party. It's like, hey, uh, Jesus, we ran out of beer. Can you go uh, make us some? Oh, yeah. This is my first miracle. And everyone glorify God. <laughs> what? This is just strange. This is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right. I guess that's a thing. I think there's a lot of symbolism in what's going on. And I want to be sensitive to you. I don't know where, where, where everyone in the room may be in terms of uh, – Alcohol, like where, where, where your beliefs stand and, and, and your convictions and anyone who may struggle with that. So I just, I want to be sensitive to that and be aware that this metaphor might like 
have a pain point at times, but if you follow the metaphor of what it's doing, I think there's some spiritual significance in it for us. And so, again, to go back to this thing, this idea of holy water, imagine if you had just gone to a wedding of Catholic Church, and then the reception was right next door, and they ran out of wine, and so then Jesus says the, the people around, go get the holy water, bring it over here, pour it in everyone's cup. This is crazy. This isn't like, run down to the grocery store. This is like, we're going to take this sacred thing, and we're going to party with it. It's like, hold on a sec. Isn't Jesus a rabbi? Isn't Jesus a teacher of the law? Isn't Jesus like the one who's going to like lead us into deeper spiritual understanding? And the whole system that he set up about purification, he's now going to like upend the whole thing. This is just not making any sense. And I think that the, the principle that's available for us today that I think God has, has given me to share is that um, if we cling only to the way of things that God has given us in the past, we'll be unable to experience the things that God still has for us in the future. See, there it is. I love it. It's good. <laughs> keep, keep going. I, I was listening to, uh, to, a, to a, a Bible teacher on a podcast the other day, and she said, she was talking about, how many of you, sorry, I'll, I'll step back. How many of you have uh, been talking about, have you guys been talking about revival in this church? Everyone familiar with that word? Just a little bit? So you guys are excited for the move of God. You're excited for what God's going to do here on the island. You're excited for what God's going to do in your family. Can I get an amen? amen? This teacher I was listening to said, the great, quote, the greatest opposition to the new move of God is always the old move of God. The greatest opposition to the new move of God is always the old move of God. Let me tell you, the thing that is going to prevent revival is not going to be persecution. It's not going to be the American government. It's not going to be anything except for our unwillingness is the only thing that could possibly hold us back. When we look at the Pharisees, right, the people who made the orders for Jesus to be crucified, these were people that were living by the instruction of God. They had their entire society wrapped around God's law. And yet, when Jesus came to do the greatest thing that we've ever seen anything happen on earth and die on the cross for our sins and bring forgiveness for all mankind, they didn't accept it. These were people that were so closely tied to this, and yet they didn't accept it because they were not ready for the new move of God. When Jesus came and said, you have seen God in miracles, you've seen him in his word, now I'm him in the flesh, come to bring a new thing, they said, I think we'll kill him. (laughs) It's easy for us to look at them and see folly in it and see foolishness because we have the second half of the book. But how often do you think we might be in the same position? What would, what, would, what would happen if they said, Jesus, I'm sorry, we, we can't take you the water. This is holy. We would have missed the first miracle. We would have missed the joy. The old system that God had provided was about law and instruction to teach them the basic principle of, principles of spirituality and holiness. And they followed it. But then the next one, right, if we take this icon of water, it's purifying, it's clean, it's clear. This is the way it is. But then Jesus wanted to move from water to wine. And again, this is where the metaphor comes in, right? Wine is about joy. Wine is about freedom. Wine is about celebration. We can move from a place of law to a place of freedom because Jesus said that one day I'm going to write my law on their hearts and on their minds. And so we no longer, it's not that we don't need this anymore. It's that we've internalized it in our spirit. And so we, it's not that we don't need the law. Jesus said, I have not come to abandon the law. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus wants to move us in our maturity so that we start 
at this area of law, we start kind of like a child. There's lots of rules. How many of you have kids in the room? There's lots of rules. Sometimes you make them up on the spot. No, you're not allowed to be over there because, look, this rug is green and this one is blue. You have to stay over here. There's all sorts of laws, all sorts of rules. Because the things that they need to know to be adults have not been internalized. Eventually, the rules are internalized and the principles are internalized. And then there's freedom. That's what God wants for us. Uh, in Matthew 9, uh, it says, New wine is not put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. If God has a new thing for you, for you personally, for your family, for this church, for this city, for this island, and he tries to pour it into the old system that never produced the life it needed, it's the whole thing's going to blow up and the wine's all going to be on the ground and you're not going to get the new thing that God gave you anyway. How often do we ask God, God, will you pour out more of yourself? God, I just want more of you. Would, you. would you pour out blessing? Would you bring healing? Would you bring prosperity? Would you help this island? Would you help our church? Would you help my family? And then he says, okay, go get a new wineskin. You're like, no, 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 just in this one. Just, just in this one. And God's like, well, let me tell you, that one's too small. The wineskin you have now not only can't handle the quality of the new wine that God wants to give, it's also not big enough. God wants to give you more and better than he gave before. Now, here's the challenge, right? Because we look at the old thing that we God gave, and it's perfect because God gave it. We look at this old law, there's nothing wrong with it. It's holy. It's scripture. It should not be abandoned. So right, in the context of this system, right, Jesus was not saying there was anything wrong with it, but it was temporary. It's kind of like you put your kid in a car seat. Eventually, they outgrow it. Right? You, you imagine they're 16 years old learning to drive with a car seat in the front. There was nothing wrong with the car seat. It was a good thing. It made you safe. You needed it. But if you're going to grow in maturity, there's some things in the old system that have to be left behind, not because they're broken, not because they're imperfect, not because they're bad, but because God has greater things. The greatest opposition to the new move of God is always the old move of God. I'll take just a few more minutes. Um, Thank, thank you, thank you. Come on. If you keep saying that, I won't stop, though, and everyone's got to go to lunch at some point. I, I wrote down this line, because I think there's a couple more principles in, the, in, this, uh, in this story. I wrote down this line when I was preparing. God will transform what you consecrate. If you're a note taker, write that one down. God will transform what you consecrate. That word consecrate means to set apart, to set aside. You take all the the everyday things and you say, well, this one's going to be special for the purposes of God, for his calling, for his purpose on my life. You might have had times in your life where God called you to consecrate something. Maybe you felt God say, hey, I want you to take 10 minutes every morning and just pray and read your word. That's consecrated. That's set apart time. Um, You may have felt called to a particular job, called to take an action uh, to serve someone in your family that might have been painful or difficult. God may have called you to to fast from something or leave something behind or get rid of an old habit. These aren't even necessarily sinful things, just things he's like, I want you to set this aside, make it special for me. And what we see here is that this water, right, that was in these stone jars was consecrated, was set aside for holy purposes. And so God only transformed what was in the jars. And so when we pray for more of God, what is it that we're setting aside for him to transform? Are we saying, God, I want you to move. I want you to pour yourself out on your life, and then you change nothing? What is it that he's supposed to be changing? If you set aside a time with the Lord, he's going to use that. 
If you say, God, I'm deciding that uh, my family, we're going to serve you above anything else. You're going to be the one God. It's not going to be money or relationships or anything else. We're going to serve you. You've consecrated your family. Now God can transform that. The good news is that we don't have the job of transforming because, heck, I don't know how to turn water to wine. Literally or metaphorically. I don't know how to take the poverty in my city. I'm from Providence. I don't know how to take the poverty that's in my city and turn it into prosperity. I don't know how to take the racial divides and tensions and turn it into peace. I don't know how to take the brokenness of the people around me or in myself for that matter and turn it into healing. All I have to do is consecrate something. All I have to do is say, God, I'm going to set this aside for your purposes. This isn't going to be a regular thing. This is going to be a supernatural thing. This isn't going to be an everyday thing. This is going to be uh, a God is going to glorify thing. This isn't just going to be an earth thing. This is going to be a heaven thing. So what you consecrate, God will transform. And I thought that that would be such a good line until I started reading the background of the story and God messed me up a little bit. Because I, start, I started, he does that, man. He does it. I was like, dang it, God, I had such a good life. This is going to preach so well. And then he went and messed it up. You know, like God does. I started read, reading the background of this and um, of this particular Jewish purification ritual. I'm like, I don't know about Jewish purification rituals. What the heck is going on? So I found some, some commentaries, some Bibles from scholars who had read about it. And evidently, there's another story uh, in the Bible where uh, the, the rabbis are following Jesus around. And Jesus and his disciples did not follow this certain uh, hand washing before meals. And they asked him about it. They're like, Jesus, why don't your disciples do this? This is according to the tradition of our elders. This is for purity. This is in our society, what we do. And, and, he, was, and he was telling them, like, don't you guys understand that what goes into your body isn't what makes you unclean? It's what comes out. What you say, what you do, the actions that you perform to people or, or, or against people. Now, obviously, hand, washing your hands is good. Don't walk away from here and not wash your hands before you eat lunch today. If you hear anything I say, it's not that. But he was saying, you, you guys are confusing the system that I set up and you're making it mean things it never meant. Because in God's law, he never set up a rule that every single person had to wash their hands before they eat. You can imagine there are people out, you know, shepherds out in the desert trying to find food and water for their sheep. What are, there's no water. This is a different society. Then you walk to the bathroom, there's a sink, you turn it on and there's water. This is, this is different. So he didn't set some sort of standard they couldn't meet. All he did was said the priests have to wash their hands before they go into do the holy rituals. It was a tradition that humans came up with afterward about washing their hands every time. So Jesus was like, this is a man-made thing. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just, you do it. That's fine. It's the way you worship God. That's awesome. It's the way you prepare yourself for a meal. That's fine. But don't you hold me to a standard that you made up for your life. And so it is true that God will transform what you consecrate, but only if you, as Jesus' mother says, do whatever he tells you. We, it would be very easy for us, especially in a community like this where there's a lot of us together, right? We're, we're, we have these traditions built up. We worship God a certain way. We sing a certain way. We do church a certain way. We live our lives a certain way. All in pursuit in, in holiness. We have these, these things that we set up for ourselves. And then it would be easy if, if, if Jesus came into your life and the, the thing that you set aside for him, your devotional time, the way you worship, the way you managed your money, the way your family pursued God, and he said, okay, now I want you to do something different with it. Would you tell him, no, 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 God, you don't understand this is sacred. <laughs> we joke, about how, but I bet you we actually do that. Right? Like if God said, like, okay, I want you to do something totally different. And you're like, no, 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 no this, is like, this is how I study the Bible. This is how, this is the, 
This is the particular place we give our money for the kingdom of God. This is the particular way we worship. This is what I wear. This is how I talk. This is what I listen to. This is the teachers I follow. These are the people that I meet with. And God said, well, you missed it then. Not because any of those things are bad, but you've consecrated the water. Now I'm trying to turn it into wine. You're like, no, no, no. It needs to stay in the water pot. Now here's the thing too. Jesus didn't tell them what he was up to. He didn't say, hey, guys, I'm going to do this awesome thing. Watch, you're going to fill it up with water. I'm going to turn it to wine. It's going to be sick. He didn't do that. He just told them what to do and they obeyed. You know what's wild too? Here at the first miracle, we don't see anyone's name except for Jesus. The servants are not named. I don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. All we know is that they were servants. They served. We know that they knew what was up with the water pots. They knew that they were there to support everyone in the joy of the wedding. We knew that they did what Jesus told them. They filled them, not just with some water, to the brim. They did exactly what they were told. I don't know how the conversation meant. Maybe they did complain. Maybe they're like, what the heck? Maybe, maybe they were confused. Maybe they talked back. I don't know. But what, the one thing we do know about them is that they did obey. So when Jesus comes to, to, to instruct you on something without even giving you an explanation, are you going to say, but God, this is my religion. This is my Christianity. This is the way I do it. And you like, no. Or will you change whatever he tells you? If we're going to ask for a revival, presumably what we're asking for is some kind of water to wine thing. Um, Sam, if you want worship team coming up, I'm going to wrap up shortly. We want to move from a water mindset to a wine mindset. We want to move from just a law mindset to a freedom mindset. We want to move from just a religion relation, uh, religion mindset to a relationship mindset. But we're not going to be able to do it if we insist on maintaining the systems, the wineskins, the religion, the way of thought that was only the old thing. You may have had, you may have had an incredible encounter with God. You may have been brought into God in a certain church tradition. You may have experienced something like revival before. You may have experienced revival itself before. But if we assume that God is only going to move in the future the way he's moved in the past, we are missing a prime piece of this story. And so I know that in a, in a few minutes we're about to, to take communion. And, um, and I know that that, that symbol is like, right, like the, the, the wine or the juice is like, Christ's blood poured out, the bread of his body. But I would encourage you to, take, to, to, to add an extra little symbol to that. And imagine, like, this is the cup of wine of God's new thing that he's going to do. And if you, would, if you would just humor me for a minute and, like, hold out your hand as if you were holding a cup of water. You can go ahead and do it literally. Yeah, go ahead and hold it up and imagine. This is the things that you've consecrated to God. These are the things that you've set aside for him. And he wants to turn it into wine, but he's, he may be asking you, to change something. What is it that's right there in your hand that God is asking you to change? What is it that's right there that you've set aside and you've been faithful with it? You've been generous with it? This has been a holy thing and he is asking you if you will let him transform it into something more. So Pastor Ed, I'm going to invite you up if you want to close our time or transition to however you're going to do it. And that's my encouragement to you is that I really, really believe because God has got some wild things on the horizon. I really, really believe that he wants to take what he's done here in your midst, here in your church, here in your families, in your, in your cities, and like, just like multiply it, like enormously. Like whatever, if you imagine whatever it is that you've been praying for, for God's kingdom to move, he wants to do that 10 times over. 
God has greater desires for goodness for you than you have for yourself. God's got greater dreams for his kingdom for you than you've ever imagined. But we're only going to be able to receive it if we're willing to obey him, if we're willing to lay aside the old thing. Whether the old thing is some sinful thing that he's calling us to repent of, or the old thing is something good and pure and faithful, but he's calling us into new places. So, Pastor, I'll give that to you to, to take. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Mike. I appreciate that. Wow. Um, yeah, if the ushers want to get the uh, communion tables ready, we're going to do that in a second. And man, that is so good. The reality that the things that the Lord wants for you are above and beyond and more and better than the things that you want for you. He wants greater. He wants more. Our expectations and our hopes are here. And he said, throw that out the window. I want, I want to bring you sky high. He wants more. We have to raise our expectations and really take hold and accept these things. Switching that mentality, I love it, from the water mentality to the wine mentality. From law and bondage into freedom, into joy. This is what he wants. And there's nothing stopping us from taking hold of it. Do you want it? Okay, you own it. It's yours. And in this, in this miracle in John chapter 2, he teaches us through the symbol that he's taking us from the old way into the new. And then now, only a few short years after he performed that miracle, he performed the greatest miracle of all and gave us the new way, which is what we will partake in symbolically today of when he gave us his blood, where he said, this now is the new covenant. This is the thing that all of the miracles I've been performing have all been pointing to. Here it is. Here is my blood shed for you. Here's the freedom. Here's the joy. It belongs to you. Do you want it? Take hold of it. It's yours if you want it. Don't watch it. Don't let it sit on the counter. Something that belongs to you. Take hold of that cup. Put it in the container and drink it up. So as we prepare to take communion together, let's come before the Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for pouring out yourself to bring us into the new covenant, to bring us into the fullness and the freedom and the joy that is life in Jesus Christ. This morning we accept this, God. We partake in, in this juice and in this bread together as taking of your body and your blood which is shed for us. As we take this in, Father, I pray by the power of your spirit in us, God, lead us even to deeper places with you. Commune with our spirit, God, and take us to the deeper depths and these higher heights that you have intended far before we even knew that they were possible. We're trusting you for that, Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.